Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. This is a special edition of Mornings with Carmen on this holiday that we set aside to acknowledge, to remember, to recognize, to consider, to celebrate the life and ministry of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So happy MLK Day. When you hear the phrase way of life, way of life, what comes to mind? How would you describe the way of life of a people who live in a particular time or place or circumstance. Well, you know, that was kind of their way of life. How do external circumstances affect a person's way of life? Like, oh, well, you know, that's their way of life because, and then the litany of external circumstances that lead a person to a particular way of life. I want to talk about our way of life today. As Christians, as the people who are possessed by the spirit of the living God, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, people of faith who walk by faith together, um, in community with fellow believers. Yeah, on and on and on we could go, talking about what it means to know Christ and be counted among the sheep of his fold. I mean, how great is that, right? So as Christians, as Christians in the world today, what does it mean for Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, to be our way of life? Like, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be our way of life? Jesus is the way and the life. Is he also your way of life, my way of life? I'm lifting up that question as we consider today um, our Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Psalm 16. So where in the word are you today? I am in Psalm 16, verse 11, where the psalmist says, Will you show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and pleasures of living with you forever? Show me the way of life. Grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. That's the psalmist prayer, Psalm 16, verse 11. Just consider that. The psalmist prays to know God, for God to show him the way of life. It's a request that God would reveal the way of life to this believer. How does God answer that prayer? He answers that prayer in the person of Jesus. The psalmist requests that God would grant the one praying the joy of his presence, which is exactly what God delivers in the person of Jesus and by the present power of the Holy Spirit right now. And then, yes, the psalmist asked that God would grant the pleasures of living with him forever. Well, that too is a gift delivered through Jesus, who is, in fact, the resurrection and the life, the very way to the Father. So Psalm 1611 is just a great verse to memorize and to pray with thanksgiving, because God answers every aspect of this prayer with Jesus. 
Again, the psalmist says, show me the way of life. I, as a believer, pray in thanksgiving, oh God, thank you for revealing the fullness of yourself, the way to salvation and the way of life, full, abundant, and eternal in Jesus. The psalmist says, grant me the joy of your presence, and I pray with thanksgiving, oh God, grant me the amazing grace that you, I mean, just thank you for this amazing grace that you condescended into human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. Thank you for showing and telling us the truth, revealing the way, being the very word made flesh so that we might comprehend and apprehend who you are. Thank you for showing us yourself in Jesus. And then the psalmist prays, grant me the pleasures of living with you forever. And I pray with thanksgiving, yes, Lord, yes. Thank you that I live on this side of Easter, on this side of the resurrection. Thank you that Jesus And I just thank you for Jesus and thank you that in Jesus and through Jesus and with Jesus, I am a redeemed child. I am a co-heir with Christ of the riches of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, do you see how you can make this psalm, this verse of Psalm 16, verse 11, do you see how you can make it your own? Do you think of Jesus, his character and his ways as your way of life? That in Jesus, God has revealed a way of life. Yes, a way to salvation, absolutely. But also a way of life. Jesus is the way to the Father. Yes, he is the door. He is the access. He is the gate. But Jesus also reveals and demonstrates the way of life that God intends that we would follow. A course of behavior. The way in which we are to walk. What it looks like to represent him, what it looks like to represent, to serve as an ambassador of his kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. I have uh, John 14, 6, obviously, in view here in this discussion about Psalm 16, verse 11. Um, And I would just ask you to consider today, as you walk by faith in the world, what does it mean for Jesus to not only be the way to the Father, but to be the way of life? For those who believe in him. So recently, earlier this year, we had a conversation with Alexandra Hudson, an initial conversation about her book, The Soul of Civility. Talked about the difference between what it means to be polite or have good manners and actually be civil. What it um, what it looks like to treat people as real people, not to just give lip service, but to have a servant's heart. All of all of that is bound up in her book, The Soul of the City, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves. Um, She spends a great deal of time in the book focusing on Martin Luther King Jr. um, and what it means for us in the culture today. So we have a conversation um, prepared to share with you. It is a conversation with Lexi Hudson, a follow-up conversation to the initial conversation we had about the soul of civility on this special edition of Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, early in January, we had the joy of meeting Alexandra Hudson, Lexi. The book is The Soul of Civility, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves. And early in the book, she offers lessons on civility from Dr. King. So what better conversation to have on this MLK Day than one with Alexandra Hudson? Lexi, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. 
Thanks for having me again, Carmen. So um, I would love to just jump in to the lessons on civility from Dr. King that you offer in the introduction of the book. So can you can you lead us into this conversation, um, you know, in the fall of 2017, where the story begins? Absolutely. So I, I, I was, as I, as I share with you um, last time we spoke, and as I talk about the book, part of the impetus for writing this book was from, you know, sort of a lifetime of thinking about the topic of the timeless principles of human flourishing. I was raised by Judy the Manners Lady, who's an etiquette expert. And then all of a sudden, everything I was taught about how to get along with others was questioned and refuted when I took a job at a very divided time in Washington, D.C., when I served in federal government. And um, I, again, I saw these two extremes in government. On one hand, I saw faux niceness. I saw politeness. And then on on the other hand, I saw extreme hostility and aggression. And I actually saw that these seem like polar opposites, but they're very similar modes of action that they, um, that they instrumentalize others, that they see other people as means to their selfish ends, as opposed to beings who are worthy of respect just by virtue of our shared moral status as members of the human community. And it was actually a a close rereading of Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail that helped clarify this for me. I'd been invited on a retreat in Maryland on the, on the Eastern shore of Maryland and Y river by the Aspen Institute. And we, we were, it was me and and uh, an array of other uh, political staffers from across the political spectrum. We were there to discuss the role of civility in modern American life. And this topic was close to my heart and on my mind every single day while I was in government anyway. So I was hungry for this conversation And um, I really had this sort of epiphany while reading Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail. One was that that idea that I just mentioned, that that there's this essential distinction between civility and politeness. And and I mean, part of what Dr. King is is writing against in his his letter from Birmingham jail is against the faux niceness, uh, the politeness of the white moderate. That is telling Dr. King not to rock the boat, you know, just just relax, that segregation will end eventually, you know, don't worry about it, don't be too aggressive in your stance against, you know, racial injustice and segregation in America. And he says, no, he says, no, we're, we're, we have to talk about this. I'm going to talk about hard truths. Uh, and that's what civility is, how I conceive it in my book, that politeness is manners, it's etiquette, it's, it's tone policing, it's technique, it's external, whereas civility is internal. It's a disposition of the heart, a way of seeing others as our moral equals who are worthy of respect just by virtue of our shared moral status as members of the hu- human community, which again, sometimes requires robust debate, telling hard truths. And so Dr. King is one of my heroes of civility um, for, for that reason and, and many others that I described in my book. Happy to explore some other um, lessons I learned from him as well. One excerpt from uh, the letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr. Now is the time to lift our national policy from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of human dignity. Yes. One of the observations that you make, Lexi, is that there is a moral foundation for civility, which also means that there could be an eroded foundation. Like, right, there, mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. we are either standing in quicksand or on a solid rock. That's right. That's right. And of course, um, Dr. King is living in an era um, where the consequences of failing to see the irreducible equal moral worth of every human being 
uh, eroded. He's seeing where that, that, that uh, he's living in an era where people are justifying treating some human beings with greater respect and dignity than others, right? That's what slavery is. It's what seg- segregation is. Um, and he says, no, we can't, we can't do that. That's the recipe for, for racial hierarchy and, 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 and gross injustice that, that we have to recognize the, the dignity of all human beings, all persons. Um, so, so just as human dignity is the moral foundation for Dr. King's vision of a just and equal society, human dignity is also the vision for, for uh, 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 the foundation of civility, for me, that 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 our social norms need to respect the dignity of of others. It can't it can't gesture at respect. We shouldn't be satisfied with with mere politeness and gesturing, pretending to respect others with our words and with our faux nice actions. That we need to genuinely respect them, and that sometimes actually respecting others, as Dr. King shows us, requires telling hard truths and being impolite. I think that, um, Lexi, one of the conversations this this forces, or at least a an internal conversation with myself that it forces, the only way you get to where Dr. King got is if you recognize that there is a creator in whose image people, mm-hmm. every single person, is created. Like, the inherent dignity of the person is absolutely based in the Imago Dei, this reality that people are created in the image of God. We live in a society and a culture today um, where many, many people have been educated to believe that there is no God, um, that they are not created beings, um, and therefore not in relationship to a creator, that they are simply, you know, uh, an admixture of uh, chemistry and time and chance that they, you know, emerged from the primordial ooze and if you think you're mm-hmm. dirt, um, you might you might not only act like dirt, you might treat other people like dirt. I, I just mm-hmm. think that there is a very big conversation here um, that is underneath. I mean, uh, that that is the bedrock, that is the foundation of the conversation that Martin Luther King Jr. was able to have in a mm-hmm. in a culture that was at least still God saturated. And I think mm-hmm. that we. We are maybe regaining that footing now, but it is certainly something that's going to have to be reclaimed over time in our culture. And this is something that Dr. King knew and, and helps us do better. He knew that his own personal faith in Jesus Christ, his own Christian faith, was an indispensable asset and a motivator for why he he did what he did. Um, but even secular Scholars, researchers um, recognize this. There's a great book called Dominion by an English secular classicist called Tom Holland. And he talks about how um, Christianity transformed the pagan world because it had this notion of, of charity and irreducible human dignity of all persons, not just one's own tribe, one's own family, the people one, one liked or, or could benefit from, that kind of utilitarian logic of treating others nicely who can do stuff for you. But it was a universal logic of respect and dignity towards all, and that was radical. That did not exist in the world. And, that, and we take the consequences of that um, 
universal human dignity for granted today because it, it, it's codified in our ideas of human rights. Um, and but th- that we it, it's so important to recognize that that has not been a uh, a reality for for most of human history. And we have people to thank like Dr. King and many others before him that he, that th- this vibrant intellectual well that 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 he drank from and that we can drink from as well to revive um, to revive notions of of universal human dignity and why that matters to for 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 um, the Christian mandate to be tools of healing in our world now. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Alexander Hudson. The book is The Soul of Civility, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves. And, and on this MLK Day, we are, um, we're unpacking the importance of Dr. King's letter um, from a Birmingham jail and, um, and how it helps us to, um, to see um, the importance not just of politeness or manners, um, but of civility itself. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. How good are you? You feeling good? You doing good? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Goodness is the character of God and the work of God. But we don't always feel so good, do we? I mean, are you good? You feeling good? You doing good? Maybe you have a sense that you need some healing, that you desire some wholeness. Our friend Susie Larson has a new book Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness, and we'd like for you to have a copy. Faith Radio is giving away 100 copies of Susie's new book, and we'd like for you to have one. So enter to win yours now at MyFaithRadio.com. We want to know the goodness of God all the time. Connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. up in our conversation with Alexander Hudson. The book is The Soul of Civility, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves. Lexi, um, spending, uh, again, time with you in the introduction to the book where you spend time with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and things that you, you know, were awakened to and, um, and I think solidified in your own thinking in terms of this conversation about dignity and civility. Um, I was particularly interested in this language of instrumentalizing others. Yes. Um, we do tend, we do tend to see people as like functional as, you know, yes. um, as yeah, I don't know, cogs or tools. And can you talk a little bit about that? Cause that is really dangerous. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I actually draw from Dr. King, uh, who was in turn drawing from Socrates to make the case, like the foundational case in my book about why civility matters and why incivility is is harmful at a personal and societal level. Of course, the subtitle of my book, The Soul of Civility, is Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Self. So I'm, I'm, I'm unpacking both um, components in parks, of course, they're related. But one thing Dr. King says in his letter from Birmingham jail is that segregation uh, is mutually harmful to both segregated and segregator. He says, of course, it hurts the segregated because it gives them a false sense of inferiority, right? When people are reduced to their utility, um, that, that they're, they're made, they're made to feel like they have one purpose and it's to you know, enrich, benefit, X, Y, Z, whatever it is, that, that they're, 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 they're not seen and known and loved in the fullness of who they are as a human being. That's degrading of their personhood, their personality, their, their dignity as human beings. And so that, of course, 
hurts the segregated. But King says it also, segregation hurts the segregator. It deforms their soul, he says. Mm -hmm. It it gives them a false sense of superiority. And that's actually where uh, the title of my book comes from, The Soul of civility because just as and I, I I borrow that 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 framework and apply it to my argument for civility and against incivility because just as cruelty, malice, incivility towards our fellow human beings, um, just as that is mutually harmful, it, it, it debases the soul of both parties. Civility, acts of grace, charity, hospitality, kindness is mutually ennobling. It, it it ennobles, enhances, cultivates, fosters the soul of both giver and receiver of those acts of charity and acts of kindness. And and Dr. King was was drawing from Socrates, who said that um, virtue is good for its own sake. When we are when we are kind and gracious to others, that that's the symptom of a of a virtuous soul. Whereas viciousness, a vicious soul, cruelty, malice towards others, injustice towards others. That is its own punishment because it is a symptom of an unhealthy soul. So Socrates said, when we see people who are walking through life cruel and vicious, that we shouldn't condemn them and, and seek their ill will. We should, we should actually have compassion on them because they're suffering a sickness of the soul and they might not even realize it. And, and I think that's a really healthy way to look at, at things. I, I, I'm personally myself, very, I tend to be very critical of, uh, and, and, and I tend to be less gracious than I should when, when I'm walking through the anonymous marketplace of life and I encounter you know, a curmudgeon or someone who's just like you know, thoughtless or rude or unkind. It's really easy to be like, okay, that's a bad person as opposed to having empathy on them like and, and seeing my grandmother was especially good at this seeing the thing beneath the thing like where are they coming from what is informing this 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 vicious or thoughtless selfish conduct um but but socrates and and, and dr king are so great in helping us um keep keep a healthy perspective of both why civility is mutually beneficial and how we can each be part of creating a more civil world right now and through our everyday actions one of the things I appreciate about the book is that at the end of each chapter, you you do offer us these really incredible practical how-tos. So I'm wondering if uh, on this MLK Day, is there a intensely practical how-to, Lexi, um, in terms of just re-engaging um, across lines of division um, that that you might offer up? Yes, my book is a is really a humanistic manifesto. I hope that people come away from reading my book with a high gift, a high view of, of what it means to be human, the gift of being human. And, um, you know, Dr. King was a humanist in that way as well. Uh, and that is exactly what we need right now in these very dehumanizing, very barbaric times that we find ourselves in where so many forces in our world they want us to dehumanize the other, dehumanize people uh, we disagree with. And that's very tempting, very seductive. That's just part of human nature to diminish the value of the people that are not like us and, and who, who, who might be in between us and whatever goal we're trying to achieve. And I, I hope that um, you know people who read the book, who are listening now, can go approach every single interaction with another human being with this profound appreciation of the gift of being human, it is a gift in, our, in ourselves and in others. That's really, uh, I think, a root cause 
of so much of the cruelty in our in our world right now, an insufficiently high view of the gift of being human in all of its forms, even those that we disagree with, even even other those who make mistakes, even in ourselves when we fall short of our own ideals. So uh, I hope that that's a, an encouragement for um, for our for re- listeners today. Yeah, I think that's that's really really good. Um, let's um, let's make an attempt today to not only consider who we are as created in the image of God, but to consider the same of every other person, no matter their age or stage of life, no matter the color of their skin or um, the circumstance uh, of where they live. Like we're all inhabiting the world together today, um, and so let's make an effort today um, to intentionally step out in faith um, and engage with somebody who is different in some way than you are and just acknowledge that you are the same in the way that matters Mm -hmm. most in the gift of being human. Lexi, um, thank you so much. What a joy. um, What a joy to visit with you again today on this MLK Day. Thanks for having me, Carmen. Great to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. That's Alexandra Hudson. The book is The Soul of Civility, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We are seeking to apprehend and apply the mind of Christ to the days in which we live. And so on this MLK Day, we are specifically bringing into focus Martin Luther King Jr. Some of the things that he said, certainly um, some of the things that he accomplished. So inviting you to consider what it means to walk by faith and not by sight in the generation in which we live as Christ's ambassadors um, today. So one of the things that um, MLK is very, very well known for is his I Have a Dream speech. And one of the things he says in there is, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So how do we judge people? How are you making judgments today? How do others judge you? Are we judging one another? And are we being judged by the content of our character? I'll just take a moment to reflect on that. What did MLK mean when he was talking about the content of character? Is he talking about core ethical values like honesty and integrity, respecting others, taking responsibility for one's actions, being fair or just, being someone who promotes love and compassion in others. I mean, what what is the content of the character to which he's pointing that he hopes his children are judged by? You can also think of the content of a person's character in terms of their virtues, the extent to which they embody wisdom, humility, courage, justice, temperance, the value of human dignity. I mean, whatever makes the list, right? So what was King thinking when he held out the hope and the dream that his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. King meant Jesus. King was operating out of a kingdom worldview. So he was um, hoping that his four little children would be blessed to live in a country where we judged one another by the qualities of the kingdom of God. That is a dream and a vision um, worthy of our pursuit. So what are the character qualities of the kingdom of heaven or the people of the kingdom of heaven, of ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, and how are we developing such character? Daniel Bennett is a friend who joins the program frequently. 
Um, he has given some thought to this in terms of character development and how character is formed, particularly um, on you know on the campus of, of a college or university where you know we're exposing people to information, but how are they being formed or reformed or transformed? How are their minds being renewed by what they are learning, by the pattern um, of the people who are teaching them? Yes, by the content of their character. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University. Um, Daniel, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's um, let's talk on this MLK Day about a big subject matter area. Um, so the I'm going to start with a big subject matter area of virtue and or virtues. Will you wade into this with me? Yeah, let's do it. So when I say the word virtue or... I say the word virtues. Um, can you unpack each of those? Because there is a little subtle difference. Yeah. So when we talk about virtues as, you know, human beings and, and, and individuals, you know, this is maybe a philosophical discussion. We can go all the way back to Aristotle unpacking uh, things that we ought to be striving for in our uh, personal lives, in our relationships, uh, you know, this is maybe a perfecting process that goes into, uh, you know, improving our uh, Im- improving the way in which we see the world over time. You know, and as Christians, of course, we can make some, draw some parallels here with the process of sanctification, this ongoing process of becoming, you know, more and more molded into uh, the people God has, has called us to be. Uh, but as a college professor, uh, when we talk about virtues, particularly in the context of intellectual virtues, we're talking about ways in which we can improve the learning that we do, uh, not just to be right, not just to amass the greatest amount of knowledge, but rather to approach the process of learning in a productive and, as Christians, a God-honoring way. Okay, so education... Um, higher education in particular, or the pursuit of uh, of education, is not really just the pursuit of information. It actually, what you're saying is that the information um, is formative. We are being formed and shaped in some particular direction. Um, so mm-hmm. when you talk about intellectual virtue, we want to talk about the ways in which education, not only the things we study, but how we study them or how we discuss them, actually produces intellectual virtue. Do I have that about mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we have access as people today to more information about the world around us than at any point in human history, right? Any one of your listeners can get on, uh, if you're if they're so inclined, Wikipedia or uh, online uh, resources and sources and amass a wealth of information about the world around us, whether it's in science, whether it's in politics, whether it's in literature. And we can accumulate these this information as one might accumulate uh, knowledge of trivia and, and other things. Uh, this is unparalleled in human history. What education has the potential to do is to not just amass information, but rather equip people with the tools to utilize that knowledge in the pursuit of greater things. So it's not enough to know something. It's how we know it, 
And then I think from as Christians, what we do with that information uh, to, to, to the uh, flourishing and betterment of our, of our communities. So I, th I think a good example of this, right, uh, when it comes to improvements and innovations in technology, uh, you know, we're at a really interesting point in our, in our history where technology is growing and we have all these interesting opportunities to deploy technologies for uh, prolonging life and, you know, maybe even changing what consciousness is <laughs> when it comes yeah. to humanity and technology. But we have to be asking ourselves all these important ethical questions while we do this. It's not one thing to just know how to deploy technology, but whether we should be doing these things and if we should be doing them, how we do them. So Intellectual Virtues asks uh, us to look in the mirror a bit and say, what are we going to do with all this information that we have access to? It feels like this has um, implications um, for every arena and area of life. It, it also has application to every sphere um, where we might find ourselves uh, engaging. And so I think that when we talk about having these conversations with young people, um, high school and college, maybe be maybe the places where um, we think about these conversations happening maybe most naturally or places where these conversations could be incubated for sure. Um, the question about just because we can doesn't mean we should. That That's sort of a uh, basic level um, discernment conversation, but not everybody lands on the same square when we talk about should and shouldn't in the culture today. Mm. So how is should evaluated? I mean, the question of just because we can does not mean we should. How are people mm. evaluating the should? Yeah, I mean, for, for us as Christians, hopefully we're turning to Scripture. Hopefully we're turning to, uh, you know, our church communities and having these thoughtful, hopefully uh, grounded conversations about these things. And, you know, arriving at a conclusion that's bolstered not just by a technical understanding of the world around us, but rather a deeper uh, spiritual and uh, really God-honoring vision uh, for our for our world. So one of the virtues that often gets talked about in the context of education is intellectual humility. And uh, this is the idea, this is not the idea rather that, uh, you know, everyone has something positive to say about the world and we should also, we should essentially just sit back and hear from everyone and let everyone speak their truth. Being intellectually humble recognizes that while there is truth that we ought to be pursuing as Christians, we have to be very careful about thinking that we always have a corner on the right answer all the time. And intellectual humility guides us to essentially be checking those impulses to saying, well, I know more about this, so therefore I'm right. And actually being open and fair when evaluating different pieces of information or different arguments, and then letting that form us in a essentially uh, kind of a, an ongoing process. So as for the should questions, I think we see this all the time in our Christian communities. There's, you know, certainly agreements broadly uh, uh, from Christians when it comes to uh, certain truths of the faith and, and, and essentials, so to speak. But faithful Christians and, and, and certainly folks who are grounded in, in, in Christ can arrive at different conclusions about the should. 
in certain ways. What we have to be careful about is not becoming so confident that we have the corner on the right way to think about things that we end up ignoring or shutting out helpful perspectives from others. All right, we're going to continue our conversation here with Daniel Bennett um, on this special edition of Mornings with Carmen on MLK Day. We are talking about virtue, particularly intellectual virtue, um, the intellectual virtue of humility or intellectual humility. Do you leave room? Do you leave room for the possibility that what is righteous and what is right might be beyond what you currently think or imagine? Hmm. I bet most of us um, (laughs) think we've landed. Um, We never really fully arrive. This is a process of sanctification. Um, So we're going to encourage you to be open and fair in evaluating evidence and arguments um, and just recognize the ongoing process that God is engaged in with you by the power of his Holy Spirit. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope and You work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing now our conversation with Daniel Bennett from JBU. Um, we're talking about virtue. We're talking about the cultivation of virtues. We're talking specifically about intellectual virtue um, and what some of those intellectual virtues might be. All right. So there is this intellectual virtue of humility or intellectual humility. Do you have another example? Of another virtue in, in, in the context yeah. of intellectual virtues? Yeah. So Is there one, something one else on the our- list? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I mean, when we teach our students in our first year seminar classes here, there's a list of six or seven virtues that we try to get them thinking about and and really uh, dwelling on uh, over the course of that first semester. Uh, One that really tends to resonate with students these days uh, is intellectual courage. Uh, Mm. That is this process or this, this, this virtue of being willing to to speak up uh, when you are maybe one of the lone voices in the room on a particular item. This means not necessarily going along with the crowd. Uh, and, and boy, this is very psychologically difficult uh, to do for, for anybody, uh, particularly if you're an 18 or 19-year-old you know, college student. But this virtue of courage, being able to stand up and being able to speak out when you are Uh, arriving at a different conclusion from your peers is so important for us, especially as Christians in this culture uh, of becoming more of a cultural minority. This doesn't mean shouting down your opponents. This doesn't mean uh, speaking up without any grounding. You know, if you're just saying, well, I think this is different or I have a different perspective, so uh, I'm just going to voice it and then uh, let the chips fall where they may. But it's this notion of this iterative process where you 
evaluate information. You're, you're taking everything in. And if you find yourself in the minority, you have almost a duty to speak out for the betterment of the educational and intellectual process. And this is difficult for students, but uh, I think it's difficult for anybody to do well. Yeah, honoring the humanity of everybody else involved, like honoring um, that every other person in, engaged in this conversation or dialogue or debate is an image bearer of the living God. That is has to remain forefront. I don't want to be yeah. caustic, but um, yeah. I do want to be sometimes maybe the word is prophetic. Um, mm. And when you when you start thinking about a lone voice, when you talk mm. about intellectual courage and, and you describe it as, you know, a willingness to speak up, even if I'm the lone voice doing that on a particular um, subject or position, I think of that also as moral courage um, mm. and spiritual courage. Like there are, you know, there there is language that might be applied to this if you're listening right now and you know, you're not operating inside of a classroom or an academic setting. These these intellectual virtues are virtues for all of us, um, and you could use a different word to describe them. Is intellectual honesty on the list? Um, now I'm kind it of is. guessing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that seems like honest, a good one. Intellectual honesty, intellectual fair-mindedness, uh, carefulness, tenacity. Uh, and mm. it's not like there's one uh, one list that these are the virtues, but different authors right. emphasize different elements. That's good. When we think about intellectual honesty, um, I guess, you know, the, the the headlines of the day related to higher education here in the United States, um, plagiarism has been something that mm. has, you know, been brought forward of late. It got me really thinking, Daniel, I, I don't I don't mind uh, telling you this and doing so in front of everybody else. When we think about plagiarism um, in an academic setting and then we start applying that conversation to our own maybe use of the word of God, the way pastors sometimes fail to mm. give complete attribution in the context of a sermon or another environment. You know, I, I can't, I can't tell you who said it or when they said it. I know I heard it right. And I'm going to repeat it because it is in my view, um, a positive way to unpack a particular portion of scripture. And I'll also confess that there are lots of times in conversations and here on air when I am using a passage of Scripture as a part of what I'm saying, but I am not giving direct um, chapter and verse. I'm not saying, well, mm. that is drawn from Psalm 9, verse 6. Like, I'm not doing <laughs> that because it, it, would, it would interrupt the cadence of what I'm doing, and right. I'm trying to communicate the Word of God in a way that actually cuts to the heart versus— just offering it as a point of information. So I guess I'll ask you yeah. this, Professor. Does does God feel plagiarized when I'm doing that? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to your motives for doing so, right? If you are representing a verse from from a Psalm of David, and then the implication is that this is stemming from the lips of Carmen LaBerge, mm -hmm. and that this is this wise saying that you yourself have cultivated, then you know, certainly I think that's, that's uh, bearing false witness. It's, it's, a, it's another thing. But if you're communicating to an audience of believers and you're referencing a passage of scripture and, you know, you're certainly not trying to represent that as your own. I don't think that's the same right. thing as plagiarism in an academic sense. Um, so, no, I think it's OK, especially if you're talking to an audience of Christians where, frankly, we talk about 
you know, elected officials or other folks being able to, quote, speak the language of Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes people will say things that just resonate with people who are in the word, who have been raised in these communities. And, you know, that's not necessarily plagiarism either. Uh, so I think a lot of it comes back to is with a lot of these virtues. What are our motives uh, when it comes to intellectual honesty? Are we uh, are we communicating what we know with integrity? Are we are we doing it for the purpose of bettering the people around us or are we doing it to self aggrandize and build ourselves up? That's what intellectual honesty comes down to, at least from my perspective. I'm excited about um, this conversation. I'm excited that you guys at JBU are seeking to integrate this conversation about intellectual virtues, um, you know, into early conversations with your students when mm. they arrive on campus. I think about the kind of character education movement. Um, it feels like a generation ago now. Um, but these are conversations that we need to continue to have as Christians um, we might need a character reformation conversation in the church um, because, you know, as you pointed out, this sanctification process never ends. And there are sometimes um, those in the Christian community who present information um, and themselves as purveyors of it as if they've landed, as if they have arrived at perfection, as if, you know, there is no, no longer any movement possible. Um, and that is intellectual arrogance. And that is, um, yeah. that is not, not, not where we want to be. So um, thank you so much. This is uh, a helpful conversation uh, on a day when we are all thinking about civility. We're thinking about um, times in our nation's history where we got it wrong. Um, mm. The development of, a, a, of an application of scripture to public life, all the things that Martin Luther King Jr. Um, was frankly such a gifted um, individual in doing. So thank you for joining us on this MLK Day. Thanks, Carmen. I'll give a quick yeah. book plug, uh, Virtuous Minds by Philip Dow. If you want to read what we're reading at JBU on intellectual virtues, that'd be a good place to start. Virtuous Minds. And tell us who the author is. Philip Dow, D-O-W. Philip Dow. All right. I'm writing that down, putting it on the list. Virtuous Minds by Philip Dow. That would be um, our professor's <clears throat> book assignment for the day. You're listening to Mornings <laughs> with Carmen. Let's circle back around for just a moment on this to this conversation about the character of Christ. Um, Jesus is not just like a character in a in a drama, or even a character in a show. He's not a character in history. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and Jesus is full of it. I mean, everybody's full of something, right? What are you full of? Jesus is described as full of grace and truth. So when we think about the character of Christ, we should be thinking about the character qualities of God. Um, he is all the things that are true of the Father. He is all the things that are true of the Spirit. Jesus is God. He is eternal. Um, and he's full of... John says, uh, John the Baptist describes him as coming full of grace and truth. What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? And what would it look like for you and I to have those as our primary character qualities? Like if I were to survey, well, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, people who follow you on social media, and I were to say, what are the two things? What are the two 
things that this person is full of? What are they full of? How many of us would be blessed to have people respond, they are full of grace and truth. Andrew is full of grace and truth. Kim is full of grace and truth. Sherry is full of grace and truth. They're full of grace and truth. Bob is full of grace and truth. Anita is full of grace and truth. Like, would that be the response? If I asked people, if I were to survey the people in your life and say, what are they full of? I just, you know what, you got, you got two, two chances here to answer the question. What are they full of? Would the answer be grace and truth? Because what we are full of is what comes out of us when the world presses in upon us. So when the world presses in upon Jesus, what comes out? Grace and truth. As Jesus representatives in the world today, when the world presses in upon us, and it will, what comes out of us? If it's not grace and truth, then let's fill ourselves up today, not only with the Holy Spirit, but with the Word of God. Let's give our attention to the things that matter, that when the world presses in upon us, what comes out might be grace and truth. we got another hour together next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.